0: Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. A group of tourists was approaching a scenic overlook at the base of a mountain range that they wanted to get pictures of. And uh, in the process, they had to walk a little ways. And as they were walking a little ways, they came upon a picturesque small village. Uh, And it was a beautiful little village, but it was quaint, and it was remote, and it was kind of small. And so as they're walking to go through the village to get to the overlook, uh, they happen upon an elderly gentleman kneeling or sitting next to a split rail fence. And so they decided to stop and talk to him to ask him about the village. And kind of in, in in a patronizing way, one of the tourists looked at this small remote village and asked this man this question. He said, Were any great men born in this village? And the old man replied, No, only babies. Think about that for just a second. Some of you will get that about two o'clock this afternoon. Uh, But but if we read between the lines of his answer, what we discover is that greatness is only possible with growth. Uh, I, I wonder how many of us fail to become great simply because we don't grow. Lack of greatness only occurs when babies don't grow up. And so uh, the issue is not that we don't know that greatness requires growth. The issue is that we know that greatness requires pain. And we don't like pain. And so what takes place is because because of that, uh, transformation becomes difficult. And because transformation is difficult, we exit the journey way too soon because we avoid pain. That's why I think uh, what we've discovered in research uh, is that one out of, uh, or less than one in five of those of us that call ourselves born-again Christians have any measurable spiritual growth plan. Think about that a minute. We have no plan for growth because I think it's because we know that growth hurts. Anybody been hurting in the last couple of weeks after you get home from Sunday and think about what we talked about other than me? I mean, this has been some painful stuff. But 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 I'm thankful that that we've made a commitment and a pledge to go down this painful and messy path towards transforma- transformation. It's a slow, grueling process that requires constant adjustments and accountability. And so we've been on this journey. So to help us, we've developed a scorecard because we all need a measuring stick. We all need a way to gauge whether or not we're growing. Otherwise, we will drift to lack of growth, all right? And so we have provided with you, for you a scorecard. I hope you have yours. If you don't, raise your hand uh, and we'll get you one. It looks like this. Maybe yours is still stuck on the refrigerator at home. Maybe it's uh, one of you left yours in the pew in front of you because I found your name on it and then threw it away last week. So, uh, so if you need one, raise your hand and we're going to catch you up quickly. This is our scorecard. This is... Um, This is the measuring stick, if you will, and I will make the same statement I've made every week. If we fail to grow in these areas, if we don't make these shifts, then we fail to grow. So week one, we talked about the first shift was this, me to you. We're breaking through self-centeredness, thinking about other people. Last week, we dealt with slave to son, and we talked about the fact that uh, slaves don't love, slaves only perform, that slaves uh, use slave language... That slaves won't rest, uh, and, and on and on and on. The, so so we, you go back and listen to that. So let's make the third shift today um, and, and, and move forward. This one is moving from the seen to the unseen. We must grow up to where we can move from the seen ...to the unseen. Uh, there's a condition, it's a, it's a real one. This is not something Steve made up. This is real. This is a real medical condition called visual agnosia. Alright, I'm going to read to you. <laughs> stay with me. I'm going to read to you the definition, the medical definition of visual agnosia. And then I'm going to try to explain it because I couldn't understand the, the medical uh, definition. Here it is. It is a condition in which people have one or several several impairments in visual recognition... Without impairment of intelligence, motivation, and or attention. Their vision is almost always intact and their mind is clear. Some affected individuals do not have the ability to recognize familiar objects. So in layman's terms, I tried to figure out how to say that so that Steve could understand it. And this is, this is how I'm going to define it. If you suffer from visual agnosia, you're half blind. Okay, let me, let me I, I got to go further. So here, here's what happens. They can look at something, but they can't detect what it is. They can recognize the shape of a chair. And if you set a chair in front of them, you can give them a piece of paper and they can draw the chair. So they can remember what it looks like and they can draw it. The problem is, is they can't remember what it is or associate it with anything they know. So they don't know what to call it. So let me explain to you what happens. Because we got a bunch of men in the room that suffer from half blindness. This is how it works. We go to our sock drawer. And Or we go to our shirt drawer to find our favorite shirt and we, we, we rummage through the entire drawer and finally we cry out to our wife, hey, I can't find my shirt. And she will say, it's right there on the right side rolled up and you still go through it and still can't find it. And she walks in and she goes, right here it is. That's the problem is the problem is is that we, is not our eyesight the problem is is that as men we have a neurological disorder it's called visual agnosia we can't see we're half blind we, uh, be, why here's why because it doesn't look like we thought it would so we can't find it it was supposed to look a certain way and it doesn't so we can't recognize it so the issue is not an eye problem. The issue is a perception problem. Uh, so our challenge, what I want to submit to you then is our challenge is this. Our challenge is that many of us suffer from spiritual, visual agnostic. We're half blind. Stay with me. It's going to get fun this morning. Uh, see, our, our, our eyes are not the issue. It's our perception that is the issue. That's why Paul, in First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, just write that passage of Scripture down in your notes. He identifies this condition in the, in the New Testament church and, in fact, in us. He says it like this. He says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. In other words, he's saying that while we're here, we struggle to see correctly. We're half blind. He goes on and he says, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows now knows me completely. We are told by the Hebrew writer that without, it, without faith it is impossible to please God. So the writers are trying to tell us that we need to make a shift from the seen to the unseen. That while we're living here, we in King James, the way I learned it, we see dimly. Like, y'all remember? Was, so he's saying you're half blind. You're, you're caught up in the temporal and you have, a diff, you have difficulty seeing into the eternal. So then, uh, so then I find it interesting that this is a, a continuation, a diagnosis of a continuation from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I begin to look through Isaiah. Isaiah confronts. Lack of sight or this half blindness in his own generation. So this is not a new concept. This has been going on generation after generation after generation. In fact, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 and 10, God says to Isaiah, go and tell this people, listen hard, but you aren't going to get it. Look hard, but you won't catch on. Uh, in the King James, the way I learned it, it is this ever seeing, never perceiving phrase. That's visual agnosia. Half blind. So, so then he goes on, he says, Make these people blockheads with fingers in their ears and blindfold on their eyes so they won't see a thing, won't hear a word, so that you won't have a clue about what's going on, and yes, so they won't turn around and be made whole. I started looking it up. I, stay with me now. I'm going somewhere with this. Isaiah, 12 times in the 66 chapters of Isaiah, he uses this phrase, ever seeing, never perceiving. Over and over again, he's confronting the people. You, you you see it, but you don't perceive it. I'm just laying groundwork. Okay, so so then you go forward, and, and uh, in Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah comes along and he says, "This is this. What really makes this bad is this is self-induced. You've brought this on yourself." Whew, okay, it's quiet up in here. He said, "You refuse to see what's right in front of you." So God says He will seal their eyes shut. Read to them from the scroll, but they will only hear words. Because they can't see, they think things are boring, unimportant, and unnecessary. So what Isaiah is doing is he's teaching us that there's a downward spiral to blindness. Okay, y'all are wondering where I'm going. I'm going somewhere. I want you to notice then. And you can do all this on your own, because I don't have time. But when you get time this afternoon, I want you to go check this out. He's talking about this, ever seeing, never perceiving, ever seeing, never perceiving, ever seeing, never perceiving. And then he rolls into chapter 42, and Isaiah in chapter 42, verse 7, steps up as the prophet. And he begins to prophesy to us about the Messiah that will come. Stay with me. And he says this about him. He says... that the messiah will come to open the blind eyes okay to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house so one of the main purpose that the one of the main purposes that the messiah is being sent to the earth is not only salvation but to deal with our sight let me say it like this it isn't one of the things he does It's one of the main things he does. Okay. So then... This is important. When Jesus arrives on the scene, y'all love this passage. Oh, we lo- Christians love this passage. It's found in Luke chapter four. After after traveling and speaking, it's finally time for Jesus to expose to the people around him who he really is. So, in Luke chapter four, those of us that went to Israel stood in the synagogue where he did this. It's it's a it's a prophetic moment because they read on like a Bible reading guide. Y'all read through those on New Version. That's the way the scroll was done. It's not like they just randomly read from anywhere. They were on a set pattern. And it just so happens that on the day that Jesus was selected to show up and read in the synagogue, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads about himself, reads, Isaiah chapter 61. I bet y'all can quote it. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. I bet you can misquote it. Because what we do is we read it like this. God's spirit is upon me. He's chosen me to preach the message of the good news to the poor. He sent me to announce pardon to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. Have you ever actually gone back to read Isaiah chapter 61? Because he's he's reading it. He's not quoting, he's reading it word for word. Except go back and read Isaiah chapter 61. There's not the statement there that He will open the eyes of the blind. It doesn't exist. Y'all missing it. Jesus added it. He ad-libbed. On the spot, in the moment, He reads that the Father has sent me to bring good news of the gospel. He sent me, sent me here to set the prisoners free. And then He inserts. He ad-libs on, on the moment, in the moment. And this, to bring sight To the blind. Why is that important? Because what it does is Jesus is making sure that we know that helping those of us who are blind or half blind is one of the main and signature things that He will do when He arrives on the earth and in our lives. So, why is shifting? Because some of y'all still don't get this, I don't think. Why is shifting from the seen to the unseen? so absolutely important and crucial in our path to growth i'm going to try to answer that for you the shift from the seen to the unseen when we grow up enough to move from the seen to the unseen shifts our entire value system we are no longer only give, we no longer only give attention to the things that we can touch feel smell hear and see instead what we do is we graduate to this level where there is another world, a very real world, that may not be able to be seen by our natural eyes or touched with our natural fingers or smell with our nose or our or, or, or sense like that, but it's real. And we're called to interact with it and value it. So let me ask you a question. Why is it that when we gather like this in an environment like this, we can sing certain songs, or read certain passages of scripture, and some people react differently. Like we're singing this song, and you're like, "Man, I hate this song. This song stinks. I don't like the rhythm. I don't like the words. It just it just falls flat. I don't feel it." But next to me, there's somebody going crazy. Like they're they're dancing, and they're they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" And then the pastor reads a verse of scripture, and they're like, "Yes, yes, I'm What's going on? Why? Why? Why is that even possible? I want to submit to you it's simply the fact that they have made the shift and they feel in their bones a reality that the rest of us haven't grasped. So this shift is crucial because it does this. It changes our worship. If you can't graduate from the seen to the unseen, your worship is always going to hit that ceiling and bounce right back down to you. If you cannot graduate from the seen to the unseen, then your prayers will never change. Because you're, you're just like saying words. You don't even know where they go. They're just out there somewhere. But when you've made the graduation from the seen to the unseen, you recognize that when you pray, you have a direct pipeline into an unreal but very real world. Okay? It changes our devotions. It changes our funerals. It changes our marriages. Because what we're doing is we're not talking about seeing things that are not there. We instead are talking about all that is there. We are talking about seeing into another world. Now, let me stop. Public service announcement. This is tough for those of us that are black and white. This is, a, this is a hard moment for those of us that are dyed in the wool, uh, black and white, practical. Because some of y'all are not very practical. You just kind of float through life anyway, and it's all about the other world. But some of us are like, man, I, this is, I got practical stuff we got to deal with. And we struggle. For those of us that are so dependent on the five, five senses and we're comfortable with facts, then this is a huge challenge. And here's why. Can I tell you that all of our life, from day one, all through your public education, all through high school, all through college, and now into life, we have been trained to see only half. Seeing is believing. Ever heard that? Okay, so so this is tough. But even Jesus, I, I, I want you to understand that Jesus' disciples struggled with this over and over again. So I'm not trying to let you off the hook. I just want you to find yourself in Scripture to recognize we're not the only ones that struggle here. Uh, Let me read it to you. In John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29, listen to what, what happens. One of the 12 wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them, and it was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. So the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our eyes, still unconvinced. He hadn't graduated yet. Thomas replied there's no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands Touch them with my finger and put my hand into the wound on his side where he was pierced Then eight days later Thomas and all the others were in the house together and even though all the doors were locked Jesus suddenly stood before them Peace to you he said because I would have been freaking out then looking into Thomas' eyes, he said, put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Here, put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself, Thomas. Don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Now listen. Then the word spilled out of his heart. You are my Lord and you are my God. Listen to what Jesus says in response. Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts, and they will be blessed even more. Jesus is calling Thomas to graduate from the seen to the unseen. Okay, so there are four levels of sight. I want you to stay with me. I'm trying to help you this morning because we've got to make this change. And we're not all there. I get it. This is a... We're in the midst of transformation. We have not yet been transformed. We are in the midst of transformation. So four levels of sight. The first one is this. We see something and we don't believe it. All right. That is where... By the way, that is the lowest level of sight. I see it, but I don't believe it. Alright? So, that's where you find the skeptics, and the atheists, and the agnostics, and the conservatives. And these people have assumptions that are in place. They have everything boxed up. They have have spiritual, uh, uh, visual agnosia. Because they have perceived and set up their own perceptions and assumptions, they cannot see what's really there. They see it, it's right there in front of them, but they can't see it. So, so um, because something doesn't look like, they thought it should look like, they won't accept it. Their, their issue is not their eyesight, their issue is their assumptions. Okay, so those of us, uh, I remember this, I, I still, this is one of the things that sticks out to me most about our trips, uh, my trips to Israel. Uh, I go there and I am confronted with historical facts the guides in Israel are phenomenal. They, it's, they're like walking encyclopedias. They, they can quote the scripture. They know all the historical facts. They believe that the historical facts are, in fact, historical facts. And so we, then we leave Israel. And one of the questions that's always asked is then why don't the, the guides who are all from Israel, why don't they believe in Jesus when they, can, they, they go through the process and show you where he was buried, where he was resurrected, where he was crucified, where he did his ministry. They prove it with archaeologists and digs and all this stuff. They prove that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. And then they don't believe. Why? Because they're stuck right here. But don't think too badly about them because a lot of the Christians I know are stuck. Right here. They see things work on Sunday, but they never apply them on Monday because, okay. Craig Rochelle calls those kind of Christians practical atheists. What works on Sunday, I don't see it work on Monday. So since I can't, I see it, but I just don't believe it. All right. Level two. You see something and you believe it. This is where you find the scientists, this is where you find scholars, and those that depend solely on evidence and reason. They need you to make a case and provide facts and proof to them. There's no problem with that, it's just the second level of sight. In, in this one, what you need is you need reason, so you need to get around smart people and let them help prove to you what is true. They see something and they believe it. Third level. The third level is this, you believe in what you cannot see. This is the uh, level that Jesus called Thomas to graduate to. And, and he's asking, he's saying to him, you need to grow up to the point that you will believe in what you cannot see. So here, it's based on faith. It's based on the fact I've been told something and I submit to the authority that told me. Okay, y'all, am I, am I, am I way up here and are y'all tracking with me or are you just processing? Okay, I, I, I want to make sure because I'm going somewhere here. Because we're called to graduate to at least level three and hopefully to level four. Okay, I don't want you stuck in level one and two because you will dismiss this other world. Okay, so y'all are quiet today. Level four, and this is where we want to get. Because they believe it, they see it. That is the highest level of sight. and because it's such a high level place of faith it affects everything about their perception of this world this this level requires this is a this is a lost art in church and in Christians today this level requires it's a d word discernment come on that is the highest level of sight when you can discern that there's this other world out there and we're interacting with it, even though I've never seen it with my own eyes. But because I believe it, I know it's true. Okay, so um, you've got to move through all the levels. In this congregation sitting here right now are people that are in all four levels. Levels. And can I submit to you that you have, to, in order to grow up, you have to go through all four levels. You can't skip any levels. All right? And so what you've got to do is is you've got to discover the key that unlocks the door so that you can move from level to level. And I'm going to help you. And, 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 oh, man. Okay, so, so the, in level one and in level two, what the key that unlocks the door so that you can move through those two levels is proof. That's what it requires. Somebody's got to prove something to you. Alright? Here's, here's the deal. In level three and level four, you don't need proof. What you need is revelation. So here's my contention, and then I'll get out of here because I'm 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 some of y'all struggling with me today. This is the most abstract concept that we're going to talk about all series long. So please just hang with me. Alright? Um, we have become, we must become loyal to what has been spoken, not because of reason, but due to loyalty to the one who said it. And one is in capital O, N E. I'm going st- to make that statement again because it's key for you to graduate out of level one and two into three and four. We must become loyal to what has been spoken, not because of reason but rather because we are loyal to the one who said it. Some of us are so high on intellect, but very low on loyalty. So what happens is this. God speaks, Then, but the, the issue is, is we hesitate and we struggle to believe because we force him to go back and prove himself all over again. Move me back. You, I I know, I heard you say it. I discerned you said it. I've even read it. But but now, what I want you to do, God, is I'm so caught up in intellect. I'm not saying you shouldn't have intellect, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have reason, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be wise. I'm just saying that some of you have put such a high value on intellect that you've forgotten that you're also called to be loyal. And the loyalty that you're called to is this. If he said it, then I believe it. So now what happens is God says it, and we make him work us back through level one and two. Rather than operating in level 3 and 4 based on this, his track record. His track record is, is so secure that we ought to be able to step out in faith when we hear God say something to us because we've graduated to this level because of his track record. Our natural eyes fight us and they try to keep us in the lowest two levels. That's why in order to move out of level one and two into level three and four, we need to have an experience. The experience that we need to have is this. It's found in the prayer that Paul prayed in, in Ephesians chapter one, verse 18, when and he says this I want you to listen carefully I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened or one version says it like this I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know hope why is it essential to move from the seen to the unseen because until your eyes are open to see the unseen you can't have hope Come on. Yeah, yeah. then he goes on and he says this you, you to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for who for us there's great power for us who believe so the second part of that the reason we need to have this experience where he opens our eyes is this if you don't not only can you not encounter hope and have hope you can't have power okay i know this is tough stuff and i know it's deep but i've got to challenge you where do you fall in this level of sight I challenge you to apply the keys so that you can graduate from one level to another. So let me, let me share a couple of truths with you that I think will help you and then I'll get out of your way. The first thing I want you to hear me say this morning is this. We see what we look for. We see what we look for. See, listen, uh, seeing is a skill that has to be learned. Did you know that until you're 12 months old, you comprehend and apprehend our world mainly by touch? And then at 12 months old, suddenly, you begin to recognize visually what I'm seeing and you can identify. So you say, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with this. Just because our eyes open doesn't mean we see. We see what we look for. So if we don't look for Him, then we become blind to His actions and His involvement. And we begin to, to assume that we're self-sufficient. God is active in this world even when we can't see Him. The temporary and the eternal are in front of us at the same time. We have simply been trained to only see the temporary. But they're both going on at the same time. I can prove it to you. Um, uh, uh, I need to caution you because we must leave room for the other world. But not everything is a move of God. Okay, let's be... We're trying to grow up here, so let's get some maturity about it. It's not everything... Is a move of God. But often we miss his level of activity because we don't look for him. So then this is how it plays out practically. Uh, An interruption. Anytime you're interrupted. Can I just warn you that anytime you're interrupted. It is infused with the temporary and the eternal at the same time. Now not every interruption is an interruption that God sends your way. But there are a lot of interruptions that are sent our way that we miss as God's involvement in our life because those people and those things interrupted our busy schedule and we don't like it. And we miss the fact that it's a revelation of His activity in our lives. So, so here's how I know we haven't made the shift. I'm trying to move fast because some of y'all look bored to tears. We, we know we haven't made the shift when we're good at seeing lack but struggle to see provision. You talk to people that have not made this shift, and you can point out all the ways that God has blessed them. New job, raise, new knew this, new that. He's benefited you here. He's made this happen. And they will point out the one thing that they don't have. Because they can't see. You know you haven't made this shift when you're good at seeing uh, sickness, but you're not very good at seeing healing. Well, I'm sick right now. Yeah, but he healed you. Like, like you did have a... Like for me, you did have a heart attack, but yeah, I got a stinking cold right now and I'm struggling. Yeah, but he's healed you. Okay. You know, you're struggling to make this shift when you see you're good at seeing failure, but you never see hope. We see what we look for. If all you, okay. If all you ever see is what's wrong, then you have not graduated. Okay, Moses I'll come back to that I don't have to Moses I'm going to go there Moses saw God Isaiah said I see the Lord lifted high Daniel after three weeks sees the one like the son of man Jacob has a vision the blind man in John chapter 9 says I see Jesus the question is do you see him? In fact, in the New Testament, I've discovered after after reading with a little bit different perspective, I've discovered that most of what Jesus is doing is he's confronting the, the disciples with sight tests. So he does stuff like this. Who do men say that I am? Sight test. What what are you gonna feed this crowd? Sight test. Go and catch a fish and you'll find a coin. Sight test. Fill up jars of water and it will be wine. No, She's not dead. She's simply asleep. He died, but we're going to wait four days to go check. All of that was a sight test. One last one. Mary shows up in a tomb. And there's this guy standing there. And she begins to talk to him. And she doesn't see him. She sees him, but she doesn't see him. But when she hears his voice. Level 3, 4. When she hears his voice, she goes... I know that voice. What I see doesn't line up with what I hear, but I will value what's happening in the unseen over what I value that's happening in the scene. And I suddenly recognize who's talking to me. So you say, well, I don't know where to see Jesus. Can I help you? Can I help you this morning? Can I get really practical and help you this morning? I, I, I just want to tell you that here's some places you can see him. You can see him in the word. Jesus has this tendency to hang out around scripture. I don't know what that's about. But you can find him if you just look for him in the word. I've discovered that Jesus hangs out around communion. Because on the, road to, the Emmaus, uh, road to Emmaus, the disciples said, when he broke bread, our eyes were open." So you ought to take communion and see if you can't see him. I've discovered that Jesus has this tendency to hang around those that are powerless and impoverished and broken. So if you avoid them, then you also avoid him. I didn't figure that would go over well. I've discovered that you can see Him in nature. You see what you look for. And finally, I want to say to you that our focus on the unseen determines our perseverance and our persistence. In other words, we must focus to remain focused. We can't stop on this journey and let our world, our friends, our family, our religion keep us half blind. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. And this is how I want to read it. I want you to think, and then I'm done. I, I, I want you to read it like this. I, want to, I wish we could almost read it backwards. I want you to read for effect. Look for effect. And then at the very end of the passage, it tells us why. The cause. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to read this for effect. But at the end, it tells us the cause. I'll try to point it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. So no wonder we don't give up. That's an effect. Right, for even though our, our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed. That's an effect. Every single day, we view our slight, short lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as a substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory. That's an effect. Are you ready for the cause? He says, Weighty glory far beyond all comparison because. We don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. So in other words, there's the cause. If we could learn to see the unseen in that moment, we all of a sudden have perseverance and persistence that we did not have previously. That's why it's important for you to graduate from the unseen, the seen to the unseen. Because if you don't, you'll give up. You'll quit. But if you ever learn to see Him, you'll hang on. Practical steps. Write these down. I want you to pick some of these. We're going to cooperate in two of them together this morning. Number one, I want you to go read this week John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, a man is discovered that's been born blind. What I want you to do is I want you to read John chapter 9. It's 41 verses. It's the longest account of uh, eyesight healing in the New Testament. Think about that a moment. John takes 41 verses to tell us about this encounter this blind man has with jesus i want you to go read it and circle the words that stick out because what you will discover if you read this passage carefully is this one he- account of jesus healing a blind man attacks assumptions and a lot of us can't see because of our assumptions so go read chapter john chapter 9 and let it challenge you the second one is i want this week and the rest of this year i want you to go looking for him look for him in scripture this morning you're going to be given the opportunity to take commun- communion go spend some night time in uh, in nature go out go ha- hang out with the broken and the impoverished why don't you make it a point this week and in the coming weeks to go actually go look for him because we see what we look for and the last one is this in second kings chapter six elisha is surrounded and his servant panics y'all remember this account And Elisha understood the truth of 2 Corinthians 4 even though it hadn't been written yet and he focuses on the unseen and this is what he does. He prays for his servant's eyes to be opened and the Bible says they were. And all of a sudden, this servant that thought he was surrounded, we even sing this today, he thought he was surrounded by his enemies, but what he does is when his eyes get opened up, he discovers and he sees into the unseen and he recognizes that the forces of the armies of God are surrounding those that are surrounding him. And so that that the practical step is this, we need to pray for one another. I need you to pray for me that I can see because sometimes my eyes get shut. Sometimes I don't perceive correctly. You need somebody to pray for you because all you can see sickness and debt and and pain and struggle and lack. and We need each other. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to ask everyone that will to come and find a place up here and spend a few moments doing one of two things. One, praying for somebody else that their eyes will be opened. Let the Holy Spirit lead you or two if you need to see him then i encourage you you don't have to this is not mandatory but communion is provided so that when you take the bread and you take the cup your eyes ask the lord to do what he did for the disciples on the road to emmaus open my eyes so that i can see it'll change everything will you stand with me this morning Father, this abstract concept that's difficult for people like me is crucial for us to be able to graduate to the level of maturity that you want us to graduate to. I pray this morning that you would help us, those of us that struggle to see beyond what we've been trained to see, which is the permanent, the the, the physical, the the facts, the the hard and fast things, those practical things. I pray this morning that what you would do in this house is you would begin to move in us, and that you would cause us to graduate and mature beyond level one and two, and we would begin to move into level three and four, so that when you say something, we're loyal to what you say, even if it doesn't line up with what we can see. God, I come against half blindness and the training that we've re- we've received to stay there. And I pray that you would allow us to discern what you're doing in the unseen realm at this moment. Let us see your activity in our life. Let us discern you at work in our lives, I pray today. Father, I pray that as we come together this morning and have prayer, I pray that you would lead us. There are some of us that need to pray for each other. We need to lay our hands on one another. And I pray that as we do, our prayer will simply be this. Open their eyes. Open the eyes of their hearts. And I pray in that moment, clarity will come. Clarity will come. And I pray that as we take communion this morning, those of us that do, that you would open our eyes and we would see Jesus high and lifted up, ruler and controller of all. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. As It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.